Welcome back to the Hypnotoad Podcast on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. Andrew Zimmel back again. Look, even after one of the most, if not the most, embarrassing loss in recent TCU football history, uh, and a season that has disappointed in about five different ways, even with all of that, we have positive things to talk about on this podcast. So if you can sit through us talking about the last the K-State game. We'll, we'll mention that. We'll talk about some of the stuff that is going to affect the rest of the season. We're not going to reflect a ton, but we are going to talk about some things that affect the rest of the season. And then I have good things to talk about at the back end of the podcast. So hang tight. We're going to be good. you got to take the medicine before you can get to the dessert. All right. Subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever you get the Hypnotoad podcast, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever by subscribing and relieving a review, you are helping boost the Hypnotoad signal, our corn frog bat symbol, if you will. You're helping us grow the brand. And uh, so far, our loyal audience has done an excellent, excellent job to this point. The more you do it, the more you tell your friends to do it, the quicker and faster we build one of the most uh, impressive podcasts on the Heartland College Sports Network. You can still get a free college sports koozie by leaving a rating review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you do that and send a screenshot to the big boss, Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. All right, let's talk about TCU K-State, a game that I said was going to be on the calendar, a game I circled in permanent marker on the calendar, a game I was so excited to see before the season and even coming into this week. If you remember last week, I was telling you that I thought TCU had an excellent shot to go into Manhattan, Kansas, and get a big win against the Wildcats and potentially right the ship. Three and three coming in, you feel okay. You think to yourself, okay, we got a freshman quarterback, but the defense looked really good against BYU. Come to find out BYU is an awful program. Turns out BYU's football program this year in the first year of the Big 12 is just not very good. They don't have the talent. They're not built up to compete in the Big 12, which is something a lot of people were talking about before the season. I did not necessarily buy into that. Turns out they were right. I was wrong. I'm all own that. I was wrong. BYU is not a good program. And the win last week against the uh, Cougars does not really reflect on what to expect against the Wildcats. TCU in this game looked about as bad as you could possibly look. And I kind of just want to leave it at that. I just want to leave it at that. TCU played about as poorly as you can imagine them playing. Two big things that caught my attention. First thing, K-State, they ran the two-quarterback system. They had Avery Johnson start the game. They had Will Howard come in in relief. Howard looked great. Johnson looked great. K-State did whatever they wanted to the defense, which is where we're going to start here. TCU's defense allowed over 600 yards of offense. They did not get really any pressure on either of the quarterbacks. They really did not get any pressure against really any of the Big 12 teams that have been in the league. Outside of the new teams that have come in, TCU's pressure on the quarterback ranks near the bottom of the conference, near the bottom of college football. Uh, 19 missed tackles was something that I saw in real time. I went back. I read some different things. I looked at some different stats. And... Having that number stick out to you, that TCU has allowed 40 points twice this season and in both the games, the first game against Colorado where I gave you a little bit of a break, right? I gave them a, a little bit of a pass. Hey, 
Deion Sanders, Colorado, opening game, first nationally televised game for the Horned Frogs. I give you a pass to lose a game like that. I thought that Colorado wasn't going to be as good this year. They've proven to be better than I thought. Not a national championship contender by any means, but still, they look like a solid program. They, they In year one with Dion, they have turned things to the point where they are respectable, that they will win games that they should win, and they should have won the game, game in Fort Worth start the year because TCU in that game, 20 missed tackles, 40 points they allowed. Lost in a close one, but allowed 40 points. Was not a close one on Saturday. 41-3 loss to K-State, 19 missed tackles. You can't do that. Now, I will say this. I've seen other programs. I've seen other teams struggle to make tackles. I've seen players out of position. And to TCU's credit, players out of position maybe 40% of the time, 35% of the time. You really can't put a solid number on it. But it's not that they were out of position allowing big runs, big passes. To me, it was more of guys in position just weren't making tackles. Guys in position to make tackles, not putting their shoulder down, not making and not executing the plays. A conversation is now rising to the surface. And this is what I mean by we're not going to reflect on K-State. We're not going to talk about one of the worst losses in recent program history because that's what this is. Not only is it a disappointing loss, not only is it a loss that makes getting to a bowl game that much more challenging, but it's a loss that is going to raise questions about job security. And I'm not talking about Sonny Dykes. I'm talking about some of these other specialist coaches, linebacker coach, defensive line coach, recruiting coordinators. Those jobs now are in jeopardy. Joe Gillespie's job is in jeopardy because the conversation is rising to the surface among the Horn Frog faithful, the Horn Frog fans. Why does the 3-3-5 not work this year? What is the difference between this year and last last year? And the difference is personnel. Last year, the 3-3-5 worked because the defensive line could get pressure on the quarterback. They could stop the running game. They looked good. They made, they made pressure. It wasn't just give a guy an empty pocket, give a, a quarterback as much time as needed. In fact, give him more time than needed to make big plays. Shador Sanders tore apart TCU at the beginning of the year. In that game, it's the first game of the year. Sometimes your assignments aren't the same. Sometimes there's a wrinkle, all that different things. You don't really know really to what expect, what to expect from a team like Colorado when you allow 41 points to them or 40-plus points to them. But you knew what to expect with Will Howard. You played Will Howard last year. You knew what to expect with Avery Johnson. I understand he's a freshman quarterback, but he's not a passer. He's not a guy that's going to be throwing the ball around the field. We're not playing Caleb Williams. We're not playing Quinn Ewers. We're not playing Dylan Gabriel. We played a freshman quarterback who made the TCU defense look silly in some points. The 3-3-5 doesn't work because the personnel that TCU has currently cannot execute it. They do not have a defensive lineman that can get in and create pressure. They don't have a defensive lineman that can make centers and guards work the way that they had last year. They don't have that type of talent. Questions are asked, why not go to the 4-2-5? Gary Patterson's premier defense, a defense that worked in the Big 12, a defense that worked year over year in the Big 12, did not matter what the personnel was. TCU 
in a conference when the reputation was they don't play defense over there, was putting defenses on the field that were solid. They weren't great. They weren't world beaters. This isn't Alabama. This isn't Clemson. It's not Georgia. There's not five five-star players on the field on the defensive side of the ball. Not yet, at least. But they were defenses that you could watch on a Saturday and expect at one stop. <laughs> They're defenses that would force a punt every couple of drives, right? The teams weren't going up and down the field on us, and that's what they're doing. At least that's what they did on Saturday. Questions are being asked about the job security of these guys. Defensively, the 3-3-5 does not work. And if they roll it out again against Texas Tech in two weeks, because they have a bye week this week, if they roll it out against Texas Tech in two weeks, wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I understand if some of you were saying, keep the defense the way it is. Coming out of a bye week, come against a tech team that's going to have a backup quarterback, run the 3-3-5, run the 3-3-5 the rest of the season, bowl game be damned. But you know how embarrassing it is? And we're going to get to this point in a minute. But you know how embarrassing it is to be a a championship runner-up a year ago and miss the playoffs this year? Not only miss the playoffs, but miss a bowl game this year? Offensively, the headache that we all went through this offseason, the headache that we went through when we talked to our friends who were Texas Tech fans or Houston Cougar fans or K-State fans online. When Garrett Riley left, it was, who do you replace the offensive coordinator position with? And there are a ton of smart, young coaches in the state of Texas. Leftwich at Texas State with G.J. Kenny. They're doing great stuff over there. And I'm not just saying that because that's my alma mater. I'm a mater. I'm just saying that that is a young OC who is doing cool things with good talent at a G5 program who doesn't have any baggage. Kendall Bryles comes in with more baggage than the Queen of England. Okay? Comes in with a ton of baggage. And what do Horn Frog fans have to show for it? For having to defend him online. Which some of you did, I did not, but some of us defended him online, and there's nothing to show for it. Where do you go from here in the future? We're not talking about K State. K State game's done. You didn't put any, did not score a touchdown, scored a field goal, got left on a on the two yard line as time expired in the fourth quarter. Did not score a touchdown against K State. Where do you go from here? What changes can be made? Josh Hoover looked like a freshman. He did not look like the guy from a week ago. Against BYU, I, I felt very confident. I felt like, okay, hey, maybe we have another Max Duggan situation. I know we're not going to play for a national championship. I know we're probably not going to play for a conference championship, but maybe we win a bowl game. Maybe we go play in a, a good bowl game. Right now, I look at the schedule. Can you pick three more wins out? It's not easy. <laughs> it's not an easy task to pick three more wins on the TCU schedule. Uh, Hoover in that game. 23 of 43, 187 yards and a touchdown. 23 of 43, 187 yards and a, or correction, no, not a touchdown, an interception. I, I misread my own stats here. Interception. Uh, second career start, the Horn Frogs as a team, 300 yards in totality, lowest of the season. So on one side of the ball, the defense not doing their job, allowing K-State to run all over them. Offensively, 
not getting off the or going off the field, not staying on the field, 300 yards. Amani Bailey, the only silver lining. He is the player that I think going forward that TCU fans have to put all the eggs in the basket. This is an NFL caliber running back. Uh, 100 yards, his fifth time uh, in his career. He had 113 yards on uh, on Saturday. I want to give a shout out to Stephen Jack or Johnson. Stephen Johnson, he's a writer for the uh, Fort Worth Telegram. He wrote an excellent column on Sunday uh, about the Frogs, and I had to get behind it because he was talking about, as a fan base, where do we go from here? And I can tell you, from this point, if you're a TCU fan, if you're a TCU football fan, you just got to grit your teeth and fight through this season and just hope that Dykes makes changes this offseason. You got to hope that after the season that guys aren't going to the transfer portal, you don't want guys going to the transfer portal. I think that the talent is there. This is the best recruiting class, best transfer recruiting class that TCU's ever had in a lot of metrics. This team, on paper, is better than the performances they have put on the field. This team is better than the team that they've been putting on the field, week in and week out. And it is not the players... It is not the offensive players. It is the leadership. It is the coaching. You don't want to call for somebody's job. I've never I've never been the type of guy who likes to call for guys' jobs. But if Kendall Pross doesn't figure this out here pretty soon in the next couple of weeks, like if we don't have a, a season where at the end of it we're saying, you know what, six and six, it's kind of tough, but, you know, we made it. We, we survived. You go through the schedule, man. In the next five weeks, TCU goes to Lubbock, hosts Texas, hosts Baylor, goes to Oklahoma. Three of those games you have to win. You have to win three of those games if you're TCU if you want to go to a bowl game. And that's why the loss to West Virginia, that's why the loss to Iowa State, those hurt so bad. Because this team right now isn't going to bowl game. All right, we're done. We're done talking about TCU football of the past. Let's talk about TCU of the present and the future because six foot two, 260 pound from Hearst, Texas, Tristan Johnson, the three-star defensive lineman. He committed to TCU this past weekend. He previously had committed to UTSA before flipping to the Horn Frogs. Totally understandable. Power five versus G five. I know that uh Jeff trailer at UTSA cannot be happy about that. I'm glad that TCU is going to add some defensive help uh, up front next year. Johnson becomes the 18th commit for the class of 2024 for the Horned Frogs. He was rated 38th. Uh, uh, the Frogs are rated 38th in the nation uh, for 24-7 sports for their recruiting class. So I'm feeling pretty good. TCU fans should feel good about it as well to add more help on that defensive side of the ball. Let's shift gears. Basketball season right around the corner for the Horned Frogs. Last season for the men's team, we were all over them. We love the TCU men's basketball season last year. They did a great job. They had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun covering them. Uh, they went to the NCAA tournament. They looked really good in the uh, in the um, Big 12 championship game or the Big 12 uh, tournament. They looked good um, pretty much from February on. I was really impressed by how geared up they were. Well, they bring back a preseason all-Big 12 player in Emmanuel Miller. Miller was the second most points and rebounds in the league after averaging uh, 12 points and about 6.5 rebounds per game last season. 
So the men's basketball season, it starts October 30th against uh, Texas Westland. That's an exhibition game at home to uh, start things off for the TCU men's basketball team. Horfrog basketball, for the men's side of things, they got picked to finish uh, fifth behind Kansas, who was picked to win the conference, Houston, who is a newcomer, Texas, who is three, and Baylor, who is four. I think pick fifth feels like the right spot. I think things can still you know shake out and go a little bit different ways. Texas, of course, this was their final season of uh, Big 12 men's basketball. I want to go through the rest of it, though. So TCU at five. K-State at 6, Iowa State at 7, Tech at 8, West Virginia 9, Oklahoma State 10, Cincinnati 11, Oklahoma 12, BYU 13, UCF 14. So of the newcomers, Houston, of course, picked the highest at number 2. I think this is going to be another one of those seasons where chaos may ensue in the Big 12. Kansas has the talent. They have the name recognition. They have the five stars to potentially win the uh, Big 12 regular season championship. But in the tournament, TCU fans, you know this, anything can happen. The baseball team had the same type of uh, situation where in the tournament they got hot. I feel good about the uh, men's basketball team, and I feel as good, maybe even better, for the women's side of things because they got a new head coach, and uh, they play their first game November 6th against Oral Roberts as a 4 p.m. tip-off. Horn Frogs, they play 12 of their first 14 games at home. So it is going to be imperative to start off strong because when you have a schedule like that where you have a lot of games in the front half of the season uh, at home, that means the back half of the year, you're going to be on the road a ton, which, you know, all things being equal, I would prefer to have the back half of my schedule at home versus the front half. You want to deal with that adversity as quickly as possible, but... There's also the need, I think it's a necessity for this team, to win as many games as possible early to build confidence. This is a basketball team last year, the women's side of things. wasn't very good. They weren't very good. There wasn't a ton to write about. Not a ton, not, not a ton to talk about either. So I, I like to think at least that having 12 or 14 games at home inspires confidence. Um. Sidora Prince, she was selected for the preseason All-Big 12 team, and TCU was picked to finish ninth in the uh, preseason Big 12 coaches poll. I think that's absurd. I think this team, with the type of coaching that they uh, hired this offseason with Mark Campbell, who, of course, spent all that time at uh, Oregon, this is a women's basketball program that I'm fully expecting to have a much better season this year than they have in the past. In fact, to be picked ninth, I'm going to go out on a limb here. No games have been played. They're only practicing right now. I would go on a limb and say that I think the TCU women's basketball program not only makes it to the second or third round, we're talking semifinal round potentially, of the Big 12 women's basketball tournament, I think that this team potentially plays in the NCAA tournament uh, at the end of the year. That's how good I think that the TCU women's basketball team has the potential to be. Now, granted, First year under Mark Campbell, first year head coach at TCU. Different things can happen, but I firmly, firmly believe that with the departure of Kim Mulkey to LSU from Baylor, the fact that Texas and Oklahoma, are, they're in their final season of a Big 12 conference play for all sports, but this is the final season for men's and women's basketball, that TCU has a chance to really establish themselves 
as a perennial team, not only in football, but across sports, to really prove that they are the cream of the cream, the crop of the crop of the conference. And the way that you do that, if you're the women's basketball team, is to win, I'm not saying 12 of your first 14 games, but at least eight of your first 14 games, nine of your first 14 games, and really establish this program as one that is going to be on the upswing. All right, that is going to do it for us this week on the Hypnotoad Podcast. Next week, we will be previewing Texas Tech. We will talk about uh, what the football team could potentially be doing. And then, of course, we have to mention women's and men's basketball as well as their seasons start to ramp up. And I think that the men's and women's basketball program are going to get a lot more play on this podcast because this this football team, I told you, they got Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma, as well as Texas Tech. You may get Baylor and Tech. So you're looking at six wins, maybe five wins. But, man, oh, man, this is a, this is a program this year that is uh, going through a complete uh, wash. So that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and we will be back next week with more Hypnotoad podcasts for you.